So how long has your school been going on now? Uh, four years. We opened, uh, I believe, June 2018. So the ROH school moved out of that building like April or May 2018, and then I opened about a month or two later. Okay. And I guess, have you ha- have you built some big stars? Have you had students in that school who've gone on to do some big things uh, throughout that four years? Yes, yes. I've had uh, a couple of students that have signed uh, contracts uh, with like, Ring of Honor. Uh, I like Eli Iceman, uh, Ryan Mooney, Ryan Nova. They were two of my like for they were in some of my first class of students, uh, and like they were like kind of at the tail end of the ROH dojo, and then they became uh, my students at the Worldwide Dojo, and they ended up signing like contracts with Ring of Honor. Uh, and I'm very like happy for them. Uh, Vita Von Star, and uh, she she was in Ring of Honor with the Righteous with uh, uh, Vincent's group. Uh, okay. She did a lot of good work for them. Uh, very very proud of her like development and how much she's. She's grown like since she started training with me. Uh, he's had a bunch of bunch of different trainers, but uh, Wheeler Yuda, I consider him uh, one of my students. Uh, he he would train with us when he moved up to the East Coast. He would train with us with at the ROH school, and then he would come train with us at Worldwide. And he's like become such a big star. Like I'm super proud of him. Like he's uh, one of my like good friends in wrestling. Just one of those dudes that's so nice, and you're so happy that good things uh, happen to him. That was a clip from episode two of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast, at least the audio version, where I got the opportunity and the honor to interview pro wrestling star Cheeseburger. And then since Double or Nothing, Cheeseburger took to social media and said, and I quote, Wheeler Yuta pinned Kenny Omega in a pay-per-view main event. Hashtag A-E-W-D-O-N. And uh, just thinking back to the history of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast and and of course, my friendship with Cheeseburger, but you know, he was talking about his wrestling school, the Worldwide Dojo, and the the success on that episode, the success uh, that he's had with it, and some of the great things some of his students have gone on to do. And as you heard in that clip, some of the standout students, and the fact that he mentioned Wheeler Yuta, and that that was recorded nearly a year ago. And then the fast forward to Double or Nothing, where Wheeler Yuta gets a pin over. You know, arguably the biggest name, one of, if not the biggest name in AEW and Kenny Omega. And Wheeler Yuta, you know, I know he. there's a difference between him and the other members of the Blackpool Combat Club and uh, where the other members of the BCC were standout stars in WWE and other organizations prior. But Wheeler Yuta's stock is rising and, you know, his future is very bright. And, uh, I mean, being a part of the Blackpool Combat Club was... It was a great move for his career, and it shows the confidence and his abilities. So to be able to come this far, and yes, there is help, and it was a crazy anarchy in the arena match, but to be able to be the one getting that pinfall in the very end over Kenny Omega, of all people, shout out, or shout out, hats off to Wheeler Yuta. I'm happy for my friend Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger's not going to take any of the credit, but, you know, just to know that Wheeler Yuta came out of his school, I just can't help but to smile at the situation, um, just in reflection. It's time! Are you ready? Let's go! Welcome to Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac, and we are now just a week removed from what was an incredible, big pay-per-view weekend that was Memorial Day weekend. Four big, um, for the mainstream pro wrestling, four big pay-per-views slash premium live events, and uh, that's kind of what I want to focus on, go all over the place probably in today's episode, but we started off the weekend with Impact Wrestling's Under Siege event and then that was that was Friday and then Saturday was WWE's Night of Champions premium live event um and then Sunday was AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view and going head to head with that was NXT's Battleground event four great shows top to bottom I I don't know how many of you watched well all four or how much 
each of you listen watched who are listening. I was able to watch all four events, and uh, luckily I didn't have too much of a wrestling hangover afterwards because it was it was a great weekend for wrestling fans, especially you know if you try to not have your unity behind one brand, one show, one company, and you just focus on being a pro wrestling fan, then it was even better because all four of these events delivered in so many ways. And I have some some kind of bullet points, a whole list of bullet points of so many different aspects throughout the weekend that I want to discuss on today's episode. Stuff that kind of made me cringe. Um, stuff that made me, left me shaking my head, and stuff I absolutely loved, moments, matches, everything in between, and, uh, you know, we'll probably be all over the place, but I'll try to, try to bring in some sort of resemblance of order, but it was, it was a great, a great weekend, you know, and it started off, Impact Wrestling again started off that Friday with their Under Siege event, and it actually started with their pre-show that was on YouTube. And my main focus, my main takeaway from that is I love the fact that, you know, it's not a whole lot, and I'm glad they're using him how they are, and that it's not involving a lot of matches. But the fact that we're getting somewhat of maybe a final run from Santino Morella, I'm absolutely loving this. I mean, Santino was such an entertaining, such an entertaining character in the WWE, and he, uh, I don't know, he very, very underrated. And the fact that, so in the pre-show we had Joe Hendry against Dirty Dango, you know, formerly Fandango in the WWE, and it was an interesting story that was going on with this, as the three of them, that is. Dirty Dango, Joe Hendry, and Santino were all, all a uh, kind of a collective unit for a while. They were on the same page. They're joining forces, taking out the design at the previous uh, Impact pay per view where Sammy Callahan turned on the design, and I, I was loving it. I, they're three great personalities, different personalities that seem to come together as one and mesh real well as the. Uh, well-oiled machine they were, but then somebody attacked Santino Morella, and Dirty Dango was bringing back his Breezango days and investigating whom I have done it, just to find out it was Dirty Dango, which led to the media digital media championship match between Champ Joe Hendry and Dirty Dango. I think I wish it was kind of during the main show of the Impact pay per view, um, so people who had the Impact Plus and were able to watch it. Um, who didn't, you know, go to YouTube ahead of time would still be able to see it. Um, and it, it was fun. Uh, you know, Joe Hendry wins by disqualification. Dirty Dango is this dirty heel right now, and it leads to the return of Santino Morella since since his attack. And I'm guessing, you know, we have Slammiversary coming up here before too long. I'm guessing we're going to see yet another match this time. A singles match with Santino Morella, probably Santino against Dirty Dango. And it's fun. For Santino Morella fans, this is fun. You know, he he's still he's still goofy in a lot of ways in Impact Wrestling, but you know, he's a director of operations and he um well the yeah. No, sorry, the director of authority. I I was like director of operations didn't sound right, but the director of the for- authority, DOA, and you know, he he's not he he's not the same Santino that he was in WWE, but still a lot of the things he says is still it's fun in a different light, and it's bringing out even more personality in him in other other ways. And you know he's an authority figure, and it's fun. And you know he he's still able to go out there, and you know I'm glad that he's not a wrestler much anymore. That you know he's he'll wrestle here and there. Uh, I think it's a perfect role for him, and um, I'm all for it. I'm all for what they're doing with him right now, and uh, I'm anxious to see how it goes from there. And then going on into the the Under Siege event, we saw the return of one Jake Crist. Now, I I am not I don't watch Impact as often as I watch WWE, 
and AEW. And so I had to remind myself who Jake Crist was. I remembered that Sammy Callahan had his own faction for a while, and I couldn't remember the name for a little bit. And then, of course, they were they were able to remind me right off the commentary team reminded me right off the bat. It was the um, OVE Ohio versus everyone or everybody, I think. And Jake Crist was a vital member of Sammy Sammy Callahan's group. And so he was a mystery partner teaming with Sammy Callahan and Rich Swan to take on the design. And uh, it, it's for people who really have followed, uh, especially the last five years of Impact's history, you know, because Impact has gone through a lot over the years. And again, I, I've said it on this podcast before, is it is it the TNA we once knew with Jeff Jarrett and AJ Styles and Abyss? No, but it's still very good. And I think very underrated and people should give it more of a chance but you know we now have Sammy Callahan has one of his his guys helping him out and I'm just you know it's, it's faction warfare and I'm all for it you know it's a it took a turned a new page at Under Siege but I'm anxious to see in the success of Impact Wrestling where that goes from there and as far as Impact Wrestling their championship it's uh Again, I'm I'm anxious to see how things go from there. We saw Alex Shelley win a like a, essentially a six pack challenge to become number one contender for the Impact Wrestling uh, Championship. I believe their next event is well. I believe it's against all odds, but either way, he will be facing now Macklin at the event. And you know, I think ultimately the idea is that. Macklin's going to hold on to the title that will eventually set up to defend against Nick Aldis, who I'm glad that, you know, when he started back with Impact Wrestling, that he just wasn't, you know, he mentioned the title, but, and you know he's going to get that title match, but he's got to have a journey along the way, and I'm glad they're giving him a little bit of a journey. Of course, he faced Kenny King at at Under Siege, and I actually missed that match, and I, I read a review on it, and I wish I would have seen it. You know, again, probably everyone knew that Nick Aldis was going to win. But it, it just, I wish I would have been able to see it. Um, but I just, I overall, I really like the trajectory that they're going with the story. And keeping keeping Steve Macklin, Macklin the champion in the meantime. But it leads me to another bullet point, and that's Scott Demore. And I, I don't know what's going like you know, the Team Canada coach from the early 2000s TNA, and I would have never thought, you know, he was a dirty heel back then. And I would have never thought he was going to be an, in a position where he is now. And I'm not talking about, you know, being in charge of Impact Wrestling, where he is, but, like, how much he's getting involved. And the fact that, you know, at their last event prior, he did a Canadian Destroyer. And now at the end of Under Siege... He gets power bombed through a flaming table from Bully Ray, and Under Siege went went off. You know, uh, you know Matthew Raywalt got involved and um, kind of got pushed down, and he was upset. If you watch the Under Siege post show, and just you know, it was oh complete anarchy. Not to use a word for what I'm going to get to later on in this podcast, but I don't know. It was different, but it was viewership. It was ratings different. And um, you it made you want to watch Impact the next week to see what happens next, what repercussions are go- they're going to be. The fact that Scott Demore got power bombed through that flaming table, but in order to get to that point, Macklin had to defend the Impact Championship against PCO. Now I watched this this uh, p- pay per view with um, with Ryan Johnson, who's been a vital part of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk in the past. Uh, my Facebook producer, when we do do the Facebook lives. And, you know, Ryan enjoyed all four of the pay-per-views with me over the weekend. But I told him going into that match between Macklin and PCO, I said, okay, ultimately, here's the deal. PCO is in the main event, and it's no disqualification. And it's for the world title. He's not going to win, but this match is going to get insane. 
I mean, PCO is in his upper 50s now. Like, I, yeah, I believe it's still in his, his late 50s. And just the amount he's doing at the age he is is something that 33-year-old me would never want to do a lot of the bumps. But, of course, I'm not a wrestler either. And eventually saw Macklin DDTing PCO onto a bunch of cinder blocks to get the win. But the one thing that I think ultimately reflecting from the entire Under Siege pay-per-view what made me cringe more than anything else, and if you see it, you can go to Impact Wrestling's Instagram channel and scroll through through ways, and I'm sure you can find it anywhere else as well, YouTube, Twitter. But there was a spot in the match where Macklin took a staple gun, and it wasn't just a single staple like you normally see, but he went wild on PCO with the staple gun. And it started with stapling his lips shut. And he put it all over his forehead and all over his chest. And then PCO takes takes a pair of pliers and pulls out the staples. Now, here's the deal with the staple gun spot. Unless you're stapling something onto a person, you see that stuck on their head. Oftentimes I wonder if they're legitimately, if there's staples coming out, if they're being legitimately used. Well, the fact that when PCO took the pair of pliers and yanked the staples out of his lips and you could see them hanging from his lips, I said, my goodness. And again, PCO has done some insane things, both in Ring of Honor and now in Impact Wrestling. And um, so I want to put it past him that this was happening. But seeing those staples hanging from his lips, it was a whole new level of cringe. And I mean, there was some more cringy moments throughout the the pay-per-view weekend as well but PCO man he's he's something else and I don't know I like him because like you know he does all these crazy spots but he he still wrestles too and especially for his age you know I sometimes I've kind of harped against you know like the game changer wrestling type mentality and you know death matches and just using light tubes and I'm like where's the wrestling but PCO is he's another he's another dimension where I I appreciate what he does. You know, he's not necessarily Seth Rollins in the ring, but he takes all these insane bumps, all these insane spots and gets up from them and so PCO, I don't know. He's <laughs> he's still underrated though. Like that's that's the thing about it is, you know, again, there's not there's not as much attention on Impact Wrestling as there should be. But I don't know. I I just I I like where PCO is on the card. I like what he's doing, and uh, you know, and he's as old as he is still doing this. And I mean, it's crazy, and you cringe a lot. But shout out to PCO and hats off to him. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I actually want to skip ahead now to actually talking about AEW's Double or Nothing event. Um, And, oh gosh, there was so much... So much that happened that night with their Double or Nothing event and so many thoughts I have of so many different things throughout the show. Um, surprises, frustrations, big moments, everything in between. And, I mean, right off the bat, you know, I just got done talking about PCO, but you want to talk about somebody who is crazy insane for for AEW at the Double or Nothing event, look no further than Matt Jackson of the Young Bucks. I mean, okay, so Anarchy in the Arena was crazy, and I know yeah, it's, it's a little strange I'm talking about this right off the bat. It was, of course, the main event of Double or Nothing. But there, there's so much that took place during that matchup. Crazy, crazy match, and, you know, going all over the place. You know, you saw... So I believe it was Matt Jackson, yeah, took a, a pile driver from Claudio Casanoli in the back of a pickup truck that was, you know, outside of the venue. And so much crazy stuff happening in the ring, through the crowd, and on the stage, everywhere. 
But Matt Jackson was what stuck out to me the most, and that is, you know, first he, he comes back in and delivers a super kick, I believe it was to John Moxley, and where he had an explosive on his shoe, so when he does this super kick, um, you know, I'm expecting just a super kick, but all of a sudden there's an explosion on his face. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's uh, that's crazy in itself. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking back to, you know, there's a video that went viral where Joey Janela had this bright idea at a, at a very, very smaller event. I, I believe it might have been a GCW event, but where he lit his whole boot on fire and did like a super kick. And it just... Uh, went to show how much it backfired that, you know, his his foot was on fire. They had to take off his shoe and his sock and just how ridiculous that was. So having an explosive on your shoe wasn't wasn't as bad and definitely wasn't expected. But it was that foot man. Um, you know, he ends up losing Matt Jackson loses his shoe in the match. It gets kicked out into the crowd and then they they take his bare foot and press it down into a bunch of thumbtacks. Now, there's some other thumbtack spots in the match, too, but seeing that bare foot stepping down into thumbtacks, and then he lifted his foot afterwards, and you see all those thumbtacks stuck into Matt Jackson's bare foot. Again, super cringy. It's right up there, PCO getting his lips stapled shut. And because, like, thumbtack spots are one thing, but then you have to walk on that foot. Now, he was hobbling around on one foot quite a bit after that, and luckily this was toward the end of the match. But even still, like, ugh. Um, Anarchy in the arena was exactly what it says. And, you know, it was... it. I, I was able to call it. Uh, not necessarily all the spots, of course. and uh, But I, I said, you know, it's got to be... It's got to be the Blackpool Combat Club winning this because I'm still looking at the bigger picture. Now, I've said on this podcast before that I wished that this was going to be a blood and guts match. But, you know, for whatever reason, Tony Khan likes to have the blood and guts events, the, those matches on just normal episodes of Dynamite. And so where, you know, I'm all for it because I don't have to spend $60 to watch a blood and guts match. But, um, you know, at the same time, I think is is a big, big enough match that maybe it should be on a pay-per-view, but they're setting up for something big here because we see Tanoshke, Tanoshke Takeshka, and I'm probably butchering that name, but, um, forgive me of my lack of Japanese pronunciation abilities, but, you know, turns on the elite and which I... I can't say I was surprised about this. You know, I had a bunch of people over at my apartment for double or nothing, and I believe it was my friend Jesse who, right away, either that or it was Jeff Wagner, somebody spotted a cameraman who was just wearing a mask at the beginning of the show. So the fact that they had this plant throughout the entire double or nothing event, where in the very end he comes out and turns on the elite, but I I wasn't surprised because it seemed like he was conflicted going into that match. You know where where you know he was hit with the screwdriver. But he was trying to stop Kenny Omega from using the screwdriver on, I believe it was Moxley. And, you know, just turned into this big thing where, you know, he ends up taking the bait. And so I said, well, Don Callis brought him in. And we all know Don Callis also turned on the Elite. So it makes sense for the next turn. Because, okay, now we have five on four. But the next big event is Forbidden Door. And, you know... I think I've heard a lot of people make this prediction. I I called it right right uh, after I said okay. Well, I, I'm not gonna say I called it because I wasn't thinking about it. And I said okay, who's gonna step up to the elite to take on the Blackpool Combat Club? Because we're, this is definitely setting up for blood and guts. And I believe it was my friend Marcus Jones. And if it wasn't Marcus, it was one of the people over for for double or nothing that night. So forgive me if I'm mistaken. But immediately says Kota Ibushi. You know, Kota Ibushi's done with New Japan now. So it's a perfect segue to bring him into AEW to reform the Golden Lovers with Kenny Omega to start with the Forbidden Door event that combines AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, yeah, I think perfect segue, perfect time to bring Kota Ibushi 
crossing over into AEW, which would then allow him to be the fifth member of the elite, taking on the Blackpool Combat Combat Club and what should be an incredible and a crazy blood and guts match. I'm all for it. Let's go. Let's keep it going. I can't wait. Now, I was a little surprised. Well, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, now, going earlier into the night, you know, wasn't quite anarchy in the arena, but I was left scratching my head at one individual, and that was Sabu. Because, I, I, again, I don't want to sound pessimistic on this podcast. I want to sound optimistic. And, you know, I had a whole episode that I called Optimistic with Doubts. But I was left scratching my head at Sabu because he was brought in as an enforcer for the for the unsanctioned match between Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. But I don't are they mistaken what enforcer is? You know, to me he the enforcer, you know, kinda watches things outside the ring. If people get out of line, you might get involved, but ultimately is a backup to the referee. And I don't know, like, you know, Mark Briscoe was an unbiased ref in the the tag team match later on in the night, but for uh, for Sabu, he comes out. Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society come out first, then Sabu's music plays, and then Adam Cole's music play, and Adam Cole and Roderick Strong come out with Sabu, like. And then, you know, immediately, it was the three of them against the Jericho Appreciation Society. And I'm left scratching my head because, again, he's supposed to be an enforcer. And so I was like, and then it was fine because there was this big old brawl before the match, which resulted in everyone being just disappearing. They all left the screen, including Sabu, leaving it to Jericho and Adam Cole to bring out their unsanctioned match from there which eventually was thrown out with giving Adam Cole the victory, which I was, I called that out too, where they said, well, you know, he's got to, he's got to follow the rules. And, you know, Jericho couldn't, couldn't come back from when Adam Cole was just doing his, his onslaught on him at the very end with that chain. And they awarded Adam Cole the victory, but I said, well, it's, it's an unsanctioned match. There's not supposed to be any rules. So, a lot of head scratching moments for me in that match. Overall, it was fun. I just, I don't know. I get confused on things from time to time. I guess. Now, prior to the lights out unsanctioned match, was Orange Cassidy defending the international championship in a twenty-one man battle royal? And of course, you know, being twenty-one men with so many different storylines, there was a lot of moving parts in this match, and. uh Overall, there's a few thoughts I had coming out of this match. Number one, for those who didn't see what happened at the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view during WrestleMania weekend with Pentagon and Dante Martin, where they they do this, this Canadian Destroyer off of a propped ladder through a bunch of tables, which ultimately Dante Martin lands wrong, breaks his leg, um, the the thing is about the Canadian Destroyer is I feel like nowadays it is the most overused move in pro wrestling. You know, it, it provides for a lot of spots, but in a lot of ways I get sick of it because uh, I think it it was it was really something special when Petey Williams started using it in TNA way back when. But now it, it's it's as common as a headlock practically. You even had Scott Demore, as I mentioned earlier, doing it at the pre- previous Impact pay-per-view. And so I just, I don't know. It, it's just overused. And, you know, it's actually, it's a lot more work for the guy, person taking it than it is for the one delivering. But even still, um, it's there's times, you know, I like the Panama Sunrise. It's a little different for the Canadian Destroyer. But overall, I just feel like, you know, especially in AEW, we just see the Canadian Destroyer used too much. Now, one time, like the main time that does impress me though is when Dustin Rhodes uses it, just because you know it's something you would have never seen the original Dustin Rhodes, the natural Dustin Rhodes from WCW. You wouldn't have ever seen Gold Dust doing the Canadian Destroyer. Um, so to bring it, 
the Canadian destroyer to light for him this late in his career has been really cool. And, you know, it's not overused, but he, he delivers a Canadian destroyer on the, on the ring apron during the, during the battle Royal. So I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'll take it there. I don't want to see a thousand other Canadian destroyers during this event. Cause I, I just like the spectacle of it. Keep it unique, keep it fresh, but I don't know. There's something Dustin Rhodes, I guess has a soft, soft spot in my heart. And I, uh, I'm all for it's it's nice to see him still compete and still go. You know, we don't see him as often, but you know, if he wants to bust out Canadian destroyer the few times we do see him compete, no arguments for me. Now, the thing that bothered me the most in this battle royal though was the fact and this is what AEW is notorious for in their battle royals, is they they always tend to start on the outside of the ring and then Everyone comes into the Battle Royal. Well, at least they're supposed to. And this that's what bothered me. And Jeff Wagner was at my apartment for Double or Nothing. And he he's like, you know, this match would be a lot better if everyone started in there. And especially, you know, you have Swerve, who half the, half the field was eliminated before he even got into the ring. He was just watching it. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, during the Royal Rumble, there's spots where people don't want to come in right away. But I don't know. It just... That night in particular... Felt, it felt like it really took away from me. With that said, the final two members were Orange Cassidy and Swerve. And my goodness, the match that those two put on, leading to finally Orange Cassidy eliminating Swerve Strickland, it was was incredible. And, I mean, it was just, you know, it went both ways. There were so many times you thought Orange Cassidy was going to be eliminated. And they just, you know, give me... Give me Swerve Strickland against Orange Cassidy in a match. Make it for the title. Um, you know, I, I know Swerve Strickland's still in another storyline with Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes and Brian Cage. and But I don't know. It's just the end of that Battle Royal made up for me just kind of getting frustrated with how the, the Battle Royal started with, you know, people not wanting to get in the ring. And the fact that it ends in... Orange Cassidy fashion where he just kind of kicks uh, Swerve Strickland's hands off that top rope and where he, you know, loses grip of the rope and uh, falls to the outside. It was su such a simple move to win. So that was fun. And that's why, and the, really it's what saved the whole battle royal for me was seeing those two in the end. Again, it was nice seeing that Canadian destroyer on the ring apron uh, from Dustin Rhodes, but it was still, that was... Kind of my thoughts on the Battle Royal in a nutshell. I will tell you... Well, number one, let me... Jade Cargill. We're all wondering... You know, she's been undefeated this entire time. She's been TBS champion for over a year. She's dominated most of her matches. You see the next person step up and you wonder, is this going to be it? And you saw earlier in the night... You Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter, and that was, oh gosh, that was kind of frustrating in itself. But I understand Jamie Hayter's hurt, so they're able to do so much. So kudos to Jamie Hayter for putting on the little bit of a match that she did have with Tony Storm, because of course Tony Storm is a new, new AEW Women's Champion. But Jade Cargill in the TBS Championship, and you think is Taya Valkyrie going to be the one to end this? Dominant reign of Jade Cargill. And, you know, they put on a decent match, and Jade Cargill gets a win. This is one of the things that frustrates me the most with AEW in general now, as this is at least the second time where we see a title match in general, and the champion retains just to go on and all of a sudden defend right after. And it ends the same way each time. You know, it first happened with where Ricky Starks was the FTW champion, and I, I know that's a different title, but, you know, he successfully defends the title and then immediately Hook challenges Ricky Starks for the championship, and Hook gets the champion championship. He becomes a champion, but it was right after a title defense. And I understand where champions feel confident and cocky and, oh, I, I just made it through this match with ease. 
I, I'm ready to defend my title again. Or in this case, Mark Sterling says, all right, open challenge. Who who wants to face Jade Cargill next? And I'm thinking, okay, what's going to be the next title program for Jade Cargill? Not, oh, she's about to defend the title right now. I guess WWE did it recently too, so I, I can't put all the blame on AEW for this where where Charlotte Flair came back after Ronda Rousey successfully defended the SmackDown Women's Championship against Raquel, and Charlotte all of a sudden gets a title shot right up off the bat and beats Ronda Rousey. I just... I, once every once in a while, maybe, but it's still ultimately something I'm against. Set up a program, and I understand if the champion needs to take some time off. I believe Ronda Rousey did. And uh, I I get it in that regard, but I don't know. Otherwise, going from a big title defense and immediately losing the title, I just I feel it's overdone. And again, there's times where it makes sense, but I I don't know. That's just my critical booking aspect, I guess. But it was nice to see the return of Chris Statlander, and she, you know, I I'm I'm all for it if not the fact that Jade Cargill just lost the title that night right after defending the title. That's still where I'm harping at. But to see Chris Statlander come back, you know, she's just had a series of unfortunate events in her career. She has an injury, comes back for a little while, then tears her ACL, is back out for a long time again, finally comes back, immediately challenges Jade Cargill, and gets a win. So kudos to Chris Statlander. Congratulations on being the new TBS champion. I just wish it maybe set up a program, even if it was she defended it on Dynamite. The title match was on Dynamite the next Wednesday. I get it was a pay-per-view moment. But I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority in all this. That's just my honest thoughts on it. I tell you this, though. The biggest shocking moment of the entire Double or Nothing event for me was actually in the tag title match between the... FTR against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, where Aubrey Edwards takes a guitar shot from Karen Jarrett, just trying to come in and be a backup referee in a moment. And what surprised me the most is, I don't know if you, I believe it was on Vicky Guerrero's podcast that took place on the second Jericho Cruise, where she interviewed the women of AEW at that time. And Aubrey Edwards is a very successful referee. She stands out, especially, you know, she's a woman referee, She's the personal referee for Chris Jericho matches. Jericho has specifically hand-selected Aubrey Edwards and asked that she refs all his matches in AEW. Unless, you know, it's a special guest referee match or whatever. But otherwise, you always see Aubrey uh, refing Jericho's matches. But she said on Vicky Guerrero's podcast on the second Jericho Cruise that she was never going to really get involved past being a referee. Moments, sure, but she wasn't going to be taking bumps. She wasn't a wrestler. So the fact that Karen Jarrett hits her with a guitar, I, I surprising moment for me, for sure. So uh, I guess I'm all for it. I, can, I don't know. I, uh, I like the shock in it, especially knowing that Aubrey said what she wasn't going to do. So clearly... Maybe she's changing her mind here, at least for that moment. But it definitely provided for an unexpected moment for me, for sure. And in a lot of ways, the biggest shocker of the night for me at the Double or Nothing event. Now, here's another thing that frustrated me, though. The the Pillars four four the Pillars four way match for the AEW Championship. I enjoyed the match. You know, shout out to Sammy Guevara and Ty, Ty Mello with Ty Mello being pregnant. You know, good for them. It seems like something's in the air with women in wrestling these days. And there's a lot of pregnancies going around. But, you know, kudos to the couple. And it was a fun match. The Fatal 4-Way, there's a lot of moving parts. It was a fun match. You know, a lot of big spots. But what frustrated me, again, I get the storytelling. And MJF would not shut up, shut up about the fact that when he had his match with Darby Allen at a previous pay-per-view, he won with a side headlock takeover. So at one point, you know, Darby Allen hits the 
the coffin drop on MJF and picks him up and does a side headlock takeover to try to kind of get retribution on MJF for when MJF previously beat him and again mentioned it over and over again, gets a two count before it was broken up. So I get the storytelling in that. But then, you know, Darby Allen, or I'm sorry, MJF, with a genius spot, Darby Allen's going for the coffin drop on another one of the opponents. I, off the top of my head, can't remember if it was Jungle Boy or Sammy Guevara. I believe it was, I believe it was Jungle Boy. But either way, MJF sneaks the championship on the Jungle Boy, and Darby Allen does a coffin drop onto the AEW championship onto Jungle Boy. So, of course, Darby Allen's hurt from that spot. I like that part of the finish, but the fact that MJF picked him up and did yet another side headlock takeover for the win, again, I feel it's just kind of overkill at this point. So I liked the match, and I liked the spot that led into it, but then I was like, okay, come on. It's a little too much now that, yet again, MJF wins with the side headlock takeover over Darby Allen. But again, maybe I'm the minority in this. But that was my thoughts overall on AEW's Double or Nothing event, at least some of the things that stuck out to me from that night. Now, what AEW had to go up against that night, I don't know, I... I was hoping when I saw the lineup of pay-per-views for that weekend that NXT Battleground was going to be earlier in the day, knowing that AEW's Double or Nothing event was happening at the same time. But, you know, they decided to have a similar time slot that put Battleground on during Double or Nothing. Now, I did watch Double or Nothing live and went back and watched Battleground afterwards. But, and honestly, I knew, especially now, so I feel like, with NXT takeovers or just their their big, I guess they're considered premium live events now and not takeovers anymore, but they always they always want to prove themselves. They always want to shine. You know, it's, you have a roster full of hungry people who have either were on the main roster for a while and are just not doing a whole lot, so then they they go back to NXT where they can shine brighter, or they're wanting to. They're just breaking into WWE. They make it through the Performance Center and on to NXT. And that's where the, you know they're proving themselves so they can be the superstars of tomorrow. And that's one thing NXT's always been good about. And so with Battleground, it was no different because it was, it was going on during the same time as Double or Nothing. And in a lot of ways, at least with the matches, I almost enjoyed Battleground a little more than Double or Nothing. I love Double or Nothing. I thought it was a great event, but NXT put on a spectacular card in the, themselves. Um, the match I was most excited for all day, maybe even all weekend, what for the big pay-per-view weekend, was the last man standing match between Ilya Dragunov and Dijak. And again, Dijak is one of those people, he was in NXT before, he... he oh my goodness, had some incredible matches with Keith Lee back in the day. Shine bright in NXT, never won any championships, but was always fun to watch. And then he went to WWE as part of Retribution, changed his name to T-Bar, and ultimately kind of floundered. And it was frustrating for me because I've always liked, you know, he was Dominic Dijakovic, and then he was T-Bar. I always liked him. I always thought he was great. I thought he was, again, very underrated. So him going back to NXT, I was all for. But it seems like for me... Now that he's back in NXT, he's still, anytime he has a big high-profile match, he still loses. But it's a fun match. Go back and watch from a previous NXT event, him versus Wesley for the North American Championship. Incredible match. So now he has this big rivalry with Ilya Dragunov. And guys, I'm telling you, Ilya Dragunov is a star in the making. When Gunther, formerly known as Walter, when he was reigning supreme in NXT UK, as an NXT UK champion, somebody eventually had to take the title off after he held the title for a couple of years. I think his his reign as NXT UK champion is right up there with how long Roman Reigns has been WWE champion right now for the the length. And but that was a different time because you know NXT UK wasn't going on for a while during the pandemic. But when they come back, eventually Walter gets dethroned by Ilya Dragunov. They have an incredible match where Walter. Retained, and then they had a big rematch at one of the 
one of the NXT takeovers where Ilya Dragunov finally gets the W. And that's where that's where I was first because I didn't watch NXT UK a whole lot. Very, very seldomly, to be honest. But that's where it was a big opportunity that Ilya Dragunov needed to really showcase what he can do to a bigger, bigger stream of audience. And if if they can keep the momentum going the way he is right now, even when he goes to the main roster, you know, I know, you know, he he's not from here. He talks differently, but the guy is so good in the ring. So his future can be very bright and self has an incredible last man standing match against Dijak gets the victory. But what stood out to me more than anything else in and at NXT Battleground, and honestly, probably my favorite match of the night for different reasons is now the reign of Tiffany Stratton as NXT Women's Champion with a very, very great match against Lila Valkyria, and uh, in which you know Indy Hartwell was a champion and then goes to Raw, relinquishes the NXT Women's Championship. They have this tournament the tournament finals between Lila and Valkyria and Tiffany Stratton at NXT Battleground. And the story they told working on Valkyria's leg throughout the match where she couldn't get some of her big moves in. And then Tiffany Stratton eventually with her her incredible moonsault, I can't remember what she calls it, like the prettiest moonsault or something along those lines. She... Tiffany Stratton, I mean, she's a very attractive woman, but she's got some great abilities in the ring as she showcased in that match, in that women's championship match, where she's not just a pretty face. She's not, you know, in a lot of ways, dare I say, the next Eva Marie, but she can go out there, and she had a great match. I'm excited to see how this uh, championship run will go for Tiffany Stratton going forward, but... You know, in a brand where you have Roxanne Perez, you have Cora Jade, you have Gigi Dolan, you have uh, JC Jane, and so many great other women, and a lot of women I'm not familiar with. But right now, having Tiffany Stratton in the driver's seat of the NXT women's division, I think is a smart move. And I'm excited to see how her title reign is going forward. And it was it was a great match that really stood out of what really helped make NXT Battleground a great pay-per-view event to watch. Again, I understand probably the majority of wrestling fans watched AEW's Double or Nothing at that time, but if you missed Battleground, do yourself a favor, go back and watch it. Six incredible matches, and I, you know, I just gave some highlights here, but you'd be doing yourself a favor if you go back and watch NXT Battleground from the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Trust me on that. And now, finally, the event that, in a lot of ways, I've been talking about the most coming out of Memorial Day weekend's big, big weekend filled with wrestling pay-per-views was WWE Night of Champions. <laughs> I like to joke and say Afternoon of Champions since it came on in the afternoon here in the U.S., but it was still it was a, an incredible premium live event for the WWE. I'm so, It's still hard for me to say premium live event. I'm... So accustomed to saying pay-per-views my whole life. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, give WWE the credit they'd want and uh, and follow the focus they have and calling them premium live events. But I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Anyway, Night of Champions, great show. Again, put on in Saudi Arabia. And I have some thoughts on this as well. Uh, kicks off with a great match between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. And I think... You know, Brian Blade and I talked about this last week. Brian mentioned that everybody thought Seth Rollins was going to win. I was one of them as well. Of course, Rollins did win, becoming the first uh, WWE or the World Heavyweight Champion of this era with the new title belt, or as my friend Mike Campbell will call it, the Big Globe, the Big Globe Belt, as opposed to the Big Gold Belt. But um. It was a, it was the match need was exactly what it needed to be. AJ Styles and Seth Rollins, two of the best athletes in all of WWE, two of some of the greatest athletes in all of pro wrestling right now, 
and pulling out all those tops, telling an incredible story. And again, you know, they say if you uh, if you can't be the main event of the pay per view, you want to go on first, and you need that that match to really draw the attention of your crowd of what big things to come. You really need to steal the show right off the bat, and that's exactly what Seth Rollins and AJ Styles pulled off. An incredible match, great storytelling. Kudos to Seth Rollins being the first champion now, and I'm anxious to see how the title reign goes from here. Uh, but I'm all for it, and it's going to be fun. And later on in the night, you have a match between, well, just shortly thereafter, Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch. I believe they might have even been the second match. You know, it's been crazy for me that Trish Stratus has now been back for a while and is still being active on on Raw again. You know, she's a part-time re- wrestler, but she's it's more than just a one-time match comeback. You know, she's got another run in her, and... um and, you know, now she's back as a heel. Thank you, Trish. And has a good match against Becky Lynch, too. Both are two of the greatest in the women's division, two of some of the greatest women wrestlers of all time. By the way, for those listening, I do want to do a women's tournament at some point in the future. I mentioned that at the end of the episode with Brian Blade when we talked about who Brian thought was the greatest uh, wrestler of all time based on the names I gave him. I want to do a women's tournament, too. So if, if you think you might be a good conversation with breaking down this tournament with me, by all means, let me know. Um, I'm contemplating a handful of names of who I want to bring on for that episode. But you know where to reach me if you want to be a part of it, and uh, we'll see what we can do. But to me, what, what stood out about this match the most was actually the finish. Again, I'm all for Trish Stratus getting the win. You know, Clearly, the long-term picture of Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus rivalry, I mean, will probably go to SummerSlam, I'm guessing. But what? how do you keep the story moving? And you see Zoe Stark come up to Raw from NXT, and they're clearly wanting to make her a star from the get-go. But what are you going to do with Zoe Stark to really make her shine? Oh, let's put her in the one of, if not the biggest, women's rivalry in WWE right now of Trish and Becky Lynch. And, uh, and you know, of course, liner with Trish Stratus. I thought it was, it was a great moment and a great turning point in Zoe Stark's career to really have her be a name that's talked about from time to time to come. And I think her future within WWE is also very bright. And they put her in the right program to really kickstart and move her rivalry now, or her, just her story, her momentum, her stardom going into Raw. I think it was the perfect move. So, like, it wasn't a name I was expecting to see get involved, but I'm all for it. And I'm, I'm anxious to see what the future looks like, but I'm sure the future for Zoe Stark is very bright. And uh, that's more than just this match. You know, Night of Champions, this was a, a big thing. And there's two individuals that really that really shined um, that night for, for different reasons. Well, for similar reasons that I was happy for. I could not figure out why Mustafa Ali, of all people, won the Battle Royal to determine who was going to be facing Gunther at Nia Champions, and I felt like he definitely wasn't the favorite to win that Battle Royal. And then they didn't really do anything with a rivalry between the two after the Battle Royal. They had one backstage little stint that night right after Mustafa Ali won. But I was like, okay, you're putting in two heels. All of a sudden, Mustafa Ali, the biggest baby face turn, right? Well, no, not the biggest baby face turn, but, you know, turns face out of nowhere and it's just because he wanted to be taken seriously going into this match that everyone thought Gunther would win. And, you know, Mustafa Ali, despite his name, isn't from Saudi Arabia. But he he showed why he belonged there and had an incredible match against Gunther at Night of Champions and pulled out all the stops. He did not he did not leave that match victorious. But especially and I, I've told people this before. It worked because it was in Saudi Arabia for him. And I feel like you have Mustafa Ali against Gunther, at least at this time, 
in the United States prior to Night of Champions, it just wouldn't have worked. You would write Mustafa Ali off. It wouldn't be such an eye-opening match. But Mustafa Ali, you know, in deep in his Muslim faith, I didn't realize that Mecca was in Saudi Arabia. So he gets a he gets to visit Mecca that weekend, and then of course has the Saudi crowd behind him in his match against Gunther. Again, doesn't doesn't come out victorious, but it it was kind of what Mustafa Ali needed to once again kind of shed the light that needs to be shined on his career to really stand out right now where so many moving parts in pro wrestling and WWE alone and even on Raw to not be left in the outskirts. And, of course, Mustafa Ali is actually a free agent, so we could see him on SmackDown in the future. You know, since then, I don't, I'm trying not to talk much about what's happened on any of the brands since these pay-per-views, but, you know, we have seen him on NXT now. So I think great things could still could still be to come for Mustafa Ali. And having the Naya Champions event taking place in Jeddah was a step in the right direction for him, for sure, to really shine how, show how bright he is and can be. But another Muslim, one that emotional reasons, you know, left and right, Sami Zayn never appeared at a Saudi pay-per-view. And it was because of the things that were going on between Saudi Arabia and Syria. They're able to work things out. Sami Zayn appears. He gets to go to Mecca, which was all the meaningful. Because, you know, Sami Zayn, also a Muslim, and comes out wearing, you know, I, I'm I'm not a Muslim myself, so I'm not sure what the name is of the outfit he came out and wore uh, during his intro. But he was... Mustafa Ali, I would feel, was the second most over wrestler for that entire Saudi crowd that night. And the most over, of course, Sami Zayn in the main event where him and Kevin Owens defend the tag team championship against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. And where Paul Heyman gets up and he he introduces Roman and Solo. And Mustafa, or sorry, wow, I'm all over the place. Sami Zayn then takes the mic and does, does his and Kevin Owens intro in the native tongue of the Saudi Arabia language, I believe it's Hindi. Just a great moment for those fans. It translated here to, to, you know, you don't have to understand what he was saying, but just as a Sami Zayn fan like I am and so many others are, it was just so cool to see. But for me, the biggest highlight of the entire weekend, and honestly the hottest storyline in all of pro wrestling right now for the last couple years, the bloodline, also taking place in this match, Jimmy Uso turns on Roman Reigns. And, you know, I, d I knew it was coming. And I wasn't surprised that it was Jimmy. I had a lot of people. I didn't see the SmackDown prior to Night of Champions. But a lot of people reached out to me and they said, Oh, after SmackDown, I, I def you definitely knew it had to be Jimmy. Well, Jimmy's been conflicted for a while, pretty much since Backlash, where Roman Reigns has been a thorn in the Uso's side. You know, where it was Jay Uso before, who was kind of the conflicted one, now it's Jimmy. And it, so it wasn't, even prior to that SmackDown, wasn't a surprise to me. But Jimmy Uso has enough. Super kicks Roman Reigns twice. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn get the victory in the main event of an incredible Night of Champions event. And um, again, like, I just, oh man, I love this, this story, this turn in the bloodline. I'm anxious to see what happens next. And it's, I mean, the Usos have always been an incredible tag team, but their stock, their, their stardom's shining brighter than ever right now, too. The Bloodline story has been the greatest pro wrestling storyline, really on mainstream of any company of the last, oh, for a very long time now, especially in the last three years that Roman Reigns has been champion. And... My goodness, I, I, I'm smiling just reflecting on Jimmy Uso's turn because I, I was like, okay, I think uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens pulls off the victory in this tag match, but how? And, you know, sometimes outside interference can be a little too much, and the Usos were getting involved a little too much in this whole story. But Jimmy Uso and that flip switching, and then he kicks 
Well, both Usos kick Solo at first, and then Jimmy Uso finally relinquishes himself from Roman Reigns. My goodness, I'm I'm smiling just thinking back. So overall, Memorial Day weekend had an incredible lineup of pay-per-views left and right. I just not shared some of moments throughout, but there's so many more pay-per-view uh, moments. So many more shining moments from all four of those events. If you missed any of them, do yourself a favor. Go back and watch what you missed. You will not be disappointed. But I just want to have a whole podcast episode to focus on the incredible pay-per-view weekend. It was a lot. It was a very busy wrestling weekend. But if you stuck around and you watched the whole thing, I really find oh, can't help but to feel that you would have felt like you enjoyed what you did. All four pay-per-views brought in so many great moving parts, so many great stories, led to so many great discussions to come. Again, if you haven't, if you missed any of them, go back and watch it. You'll not be disappointed. You had Impact Wrestling Under Siege. You then had WWE's Night of Champions, AEW, AEW Double, or no, Double or Nothing, and NXT Battleground. Four great events all taking place during Memorial Day weekend. A lot, but so much good. This has been Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac. And until next time, we will see you then. Have a good day, everyone.